Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. We are continuing our sermon series um, called Meaningful Membership, and we are looking at what the Bible says about church membership. Now, I've said from the beginning that the phrase church member or church membership is not in the Bible, but the idea is, the, the model is there for us. And, and so if the Bible talks about it or shows us this model of a church member, then, then what does that mean? And, and what does that mean for us here? How do we take the wisdom of God's word and apply it to our lives? Because the, the Bible says what the Bible says. The Bible means what the Bible means. And so it can't mean one thing here and one thing here. It means what it means. But how we apply that faithfully does change for the, the, the situation. And so we want to faithfully be obedient to God's word here at this church and how we look at church membership and how we express church membership and what we believe about church membership. So this is the fourth week of our three-week sermon series uh, looking at church membership. Um, so over the past few weeks, uh, so the first week we focused on Paul's analogy on the, the church body as um, or members of the church as uh, parts of the human body and how different parts of the human body work to serve each other and, to, and for the benefit of the entire body. Uh, in week two, we took a closer look at how we embrace sanctification. As a church, we embrace sanctification by helping each other eradicate the sin in our lives, which that's no fun, but it's necessary. We have to hold each other accountable for our sins. And then the second part of that, the second part of that sanctification is also encouraging each other to, to act according to God's will, to share God's love, to do those acts of good works. Now, our acts of good works are not to earn salvation. Our acts of good works are the outgrowth of our salvation. But we, as church members, should be encouraging other church members to do those acts of good works. Last week, we learned about the importance of selflessness in church membership. This week, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into that and focus on what it means to have the attitude of Christ. So this morning, the, the title of this sermon is, I Am Serving, and this is coming from Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. And the main idea here is that we as church members embrace service. We embrace service. So I've got this text um, broken down into three divisions. There's Jesus' selflessness, selflessness. That's a lot of S's, and there's a whole lot more coming. Jesus' selflessness, Jesus' humility, and Jesus' service. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into this text. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word and for preserving your word for us through the ages. Lord, as we open up your word and study, help us to apply this to our lives. Show us how we are not like you, and show us where we need to surrender so that we can let you live through us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So like I said, we're going to start in Philippians 2, and this is going to be verses 5 through 8. Paul writes, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. So we're going to break this down. Like I said, we're going to break it down in three different ways, all right? So first, we, we read in verse 6, Paul says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. So what does Paul mean that Jesus was God? 
Now, Paul is not using the past tense here to mean that Jesus is not God anymore. That's not why he's using the past tense. Paul is using the past tense here to have his readers think back to the time that Jesus was living on earth in physical body. Paul was asking his readers and his audience to think back to Jesus' incarnation, right? when he was physically living here on earth. So what does it mean that Jesus is God? Paul's not saying that Jesus is not God anymore. He is still God. What does that mean that Jesus is God? Right? Jesus is not just the Son of God, meaning that he's some lesser deity. No, no, no. Jesus is fully God. He is not another God beside the one true God. No, he is God. Jesus is fully God. All of the power, all of the authority that belongs to God belong to Jesus because he is God. Jesus is fully God. This also means that all of the worship that belongs to God, that only rightfully belongs to God, belongs to Jesus because he is God. Well, how is Jesus God? Isn't the Father God? Last week, In the sermon, we talked about the Holy Spirit, and I said that the Holy Spirit is God. That's true. All three of them are God. Yes, there is only one God, and he is one God revealed to us in three persons. This is what we call the Trinity. Most of you in here have seen this before. This is the image that I use to explain what the Trinity is. And as I've said before, this can explain what the Trinity is, but it does not explain how the Trinity is. As a former math teacher... The Trinity mathematically doesn't make sense to me. One plus one plus one is one. That's what the Trinity says. It is God's truth. It's just hard to understand. All right, so let me explain this a little bit. When we're looking at this, it's, it's not just a triangle with a bunch of circles and, and arrows. All right, so what this is saying is that the Father is God, and God is the Father. We see that the Son is God, and God is the Son. God is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is God. But God is not the Son I'm sorry, I said that wrong. God is the Son. But the Father is not the Son, and the Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Father, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. All three persons of the Trinity are God. They are equally God. They are all God. However, they are distinct from one another, but one God. It's hard to understand how, but this is what, right? There are lots of different analogies, and they almost always fall short in some way, but they are a good way to to start to understand that. So when we look at this, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they all have the power and authority and sovereignty that God has. All of that, Jesus has that too, because Jesus is God. But Paul tells us Jesus was willing to let go of that. Paul says Jesus did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Jesus, because he is God, he has access to all of God's power, all of his creative power, all of his righteousness and knowledge and authority, his sovereignty. He possesses all of God's creative ability. I want you to think about what would you do if you had all of God's power and authority that's kind of a scary thought for me. If I had all of God's power and authority, what would I? that's kind of a scary thought. But what would you do if you had all of God's power and authority? Now, I don't want to, I don't want to go blasphemous here, but just take a second and, and play this game with me. You might remember a movie called Bruce Almighty. Bruce Almighty was a hilarious movie. 
Um, and so in this movie, Bruce is a struggling news anchor in a struggling relationship with his girlfriend, and he is verging on depression. Bruce prays to God, and he expresses his frustration with the way that God's handling things. And so God has a meeting with Bruce, and he gives Bruce all of his power. God says, you think you can do a better job? Do it. You have all my power, all my authority. So what does Bruce do? Well, first of all, he doesn't believe this conversation that just happened. He thinks he's talking to a crazy person, or maybe Bruce himself is having a mental breakdown and hallucinating all this. But anyways, he's walking back to his car. He accidentally walks on water. He doesn't think anything of it at first. And then he's sitting in a little coffee shop, and, and he parts his soup like the Red Sea before Moses. So he's starting to understand what's going on, right? And so what does Bruce do? Well, he takes his rust bucket car and transforms it into a, a Lamborghini Saline. It's a hundred-plus-thousand-dollar car, all right? He manipulates the position of the moon to give him and his girlfriend the perfect romantic evening. He even goes so far as to take revenge on his enemy and ruin his career or his co-worker's career. This movie is obviously a comedy, but let's be honest. If we had all of God's power and authority, we would probably do some pretty selfish and stupid things too. Mm. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus does have all of God's power. He does have all of God's authority. But Paul says he did not think of that as something to cling to. Last week, we looked at the verses immediately preceding this, verses 1 through 4, um, and Paul talked about being selfless, being humble. So to follow that up, Paul gives us the perfect example of selflessness and humility. Jesus has all of this power and authority. He has the power and authority of God because he is God, but instead of using that for his own selfish gain, he humbly and obediently obeys the will of the Father. We keep reading, it says, instead he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. So this phrase right here, he gave up his divine privileges. We talked a lot about translations this morning in Sunday school, right? So other translations use the phrase, he emptied himself. I like both of those translations, that he emptied himself and he gave up his divine privileges. I like the, the he emptied himself because the, the visual aspect of it, the, the figurative language part of it, right? Um, However, unfortunately, that, that phrase has been used to, to preach some heresies throughout the years, right? Some people have used that where it says that Jesus emptied himself. Some people have used that to teach that when Jesus came to earth, he was somehow lesser than God. No, that's not true. When Jesus came to earth, he was fully man, but he was fully God at the same time. So when Paul says that he, or in the New, New Living Translation, Jesus, uh, Paul says, uh, Jesus gave up his divine privileges. He did not surrender any of his divine power or authority when he came to earth. He didn't surrender any of his deistic qualities during his incarnation. That's not what Paul means. Instead, Paul is saying that, yes, Jesus is the all-powerful God. He is the righteous judge. But instead of using that power and authority for selfish gain, he uses that selflessly to serve others. Instead of demanding to be served, Jesus took the humble position of a slave. How many of y'all remember that show, Undercover Boss? You've got the president or the CEO of some major corporation, and they come into their, their, their business, and they take on, well, usually they put on a costume, and they, they take on some lowly position in the company. 
That's sort of, in some ways, kind of what's happening here. Jesus, the creator of the universe, almighty God, coming down to earth, putting on human flesh, and becoming our servant, serving others. Throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, we see him serving and loving others. He cures sicknesses. He casts out demons. He serves. He loves those who the rest of society has cast out. He forgives the sins of others, even when the religious elites have cast them out. When the rest of society says, these people aren't good enough, Jesus says, no, I love you. I love you too. I love you anyways, even though you have sinned. Even though everybody else thinks you're not good enough, I love you and I will serve you. I feel like I have a lot of pop culture references this morning, but uh, last year, the movie Thor, Love, and Thunder came out. Um, The villain in that movie is is known as Gore the God Butcher. Gore's life mission, life mission, is to go around the multiverse and kill as many of the gods as he can. His goal is to kill every god in the multiverse. Obviously, we don't get our theology from Marvel or Disney because those gods are fake gods. I wouldn't even say they're false gods. They're just fake. It's, it's a fictional story, right? But the reason that Gore sets it as his goal to kill all of the gods is because of something that happened to him and his people. So quoting from Wikipedia, it says, Gore grew up on a nameless, barren planet where earthquakes, lack of water, and wild animals are common. No gods helped his people, but they still trusted blindly in their faith. When his mother, wife, and children died, he thought gods could not exist. And because of that, he was outcast by his tribe. And so eventually, right, Gore is out there, and he, and he stumbles. He's walking through this barren desert, and he stumbles upon an oasis. And when he, he goes into this oasis, he's starving and he's thirsting to death. And what he finds there is this group of gods who are sitting there and just having a wonderful time. They're laughing and and eating and drinking. And Gore says, why didn't you help us? We worshipped you. We served you. And why didn't you help us? And this god that Gore had worshipped his whole life just laughs in his face. And he mocks him and he ridicules him. And so Gore sets it as his life goal to kill all gods. Now, i got to say... If the real God acted like that, it'd be really hard to worship him. But the one true God, the real God, does not act like that. Praise God. He is a God of love. He is a God of relationships. And he is a God of reconciliation. He cares for his people. So, our God came He put aside his divine privileges, and he humbled himself to become a slave for us. If we keep reading, Paul says, When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. So here he says he appeared in human form. After all these years, it still blows my mind that the eternal God, who has existed from before the universe was ever created, the eternal God, the all-powerful God, would forego those divine privileges to come and put on stinky human flesh, broken human flesh. He came down into this broken world and became human. He left the glory of heaven to take on body odor and morning breath and bedhead 
and sore muscles and achy joints. When Paul says that Jesus emptied himself, he gave up his deistic privileges, and in return, he gets this broken physical body. Why would he do that? Two reasons. And Paul lays them out right here for us. First reason is in obedience to the Father. The first reason that Jesus does this is in obedience to the Father. Think back to the image that I showed you of the Trinity. Jesus is God. God is Jesus. The Father is God, and God is the Father. But Jesus is not the Father. They are equal in power and authority and glory. But Jesus chooses to place himself under the authority of the Father. They are equal in authority, but Jesus chooses to place himself under the authority of the Father. This is not something that was new when Jesus came to the earth. It always was this way, but Jesus' incarnation is the, the greatest example of this humility, of, of, of his humility. It is humble obedience because he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he humbly subjugates himself to the Father and follows the Father's will. The second reason that Jesus gave up his heavenly home to put on stinky human flesh is to die a criminal's death on the cross. This is a divine act of sacrificial love. Jesus came to die for our sins. We are all sinners, and therefore we all deserve death. In Scripture, the imagery that it gives us of God's wrath is God pouring out a cup of wrath onto us. Now, the funny thing about that cup of wrath is that it would be empty if we didn't sin. Throughout our life, as we sin, we continue to put those sins in that cup of wrath. And then when our judgment comes, God pours out all of that wrath that we deserve onto us. Except Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. He didn't deserve that wrath, but he stood in our way. When God pours out that wrath, he stands in front of us and takes that wrath for us. He came to this earth to live the perfect life, to die for our sins. That was why he came. And when we place our faith in him, he stands in our place. He is our substitution. It is a substitutionary sacrifice. This is why the incarnation is so important. If Jesus didn't come to this earth and actually become human, then he wouldn't be able to die for our sins. He put on flesh to die for you, to take your punishment. He loved us enough to become human just so he could be sacrificed for us. That's sacrificial love. When we place our faith in him, in his sacrifice, then we are forgiven of our sins and we are set free from its power over our lives. We're given the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit empowers us to follow God's will in our lives. If you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, place your faith in him today and be freed from your sentence of God's wrath, but also be freed of the power of sin over your life and be reunited, be reconciled with your Heavenly Father. Before we get into our application, it sounds like I'm getting to the application awfully early this morning. Don't worry, I'm not there yet. All right, before we get to the application, we need to remember the context of this passage. We've talked a lot about Jesus this morning, and I will never apologize for preaching about Jesus. But the point of this sermon is not just to know more about Jesus, but to point to Jesus as the example for us to follow as church members. 
Last week, we looked at the beginning of this chapter. And so I'm going to reread that so we can get this context here, right? So starting in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from His love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of, your, or sorry, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And then Paul gives us this example of Jesus. So it's in this context that Paul is talking about Jesus' Uh, giving up his divine privileges to become human, to take the punishment for our sin and serving others. So in this context of seeking selflessness, unity, and sacrificial humility among the church there in Philippi, this is where Paul tells them to adopt the attitude of Christ. He's telling them, all these things that I'm encouraging you to do, these are the qualities that our Savior showed for us. All these things that I'm encouraging you to do should come naturally to the Christian, to the believer, because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. But sometimes we don't always surrender to the Holy Spirit. So he says, adopt the attitude of Christ. Paul said, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Well, where do we get the example of that? Jesus did it. He loved us enough to surrender his divine rights and come to serve us. Paul said, don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Where do we get the example of that? Jesus did it. He didn't see equality with God as something to be exploited. He became human so that we could be forgiven. Paul said, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with one another, loving one another, and working together in one mind and one purpose. Where do we get the example of that? Jesus did it. Jesus, being fully God, humbles himself in obedience to the Father. So, throughout this sermon series, I've talked several times about this book. I'm a church member. Um, We do have extra copies. If you've never read this book, I encourage you to read the book. If you have read it before, um, read it again. It's such a good book, and it's a short read. It's a short read, not an easy read, because the Holy Spirit convicts you on that one. Uh, Anyways, on page 36, the author writes, We will never find joy in church membership when we are constantly seeking things our way. But paradoxically, we will find the greatest joy when we choose to be last. That's what Jesus meant when he said, the last will be first. True joy means giving up our rights and preferences and serving everyone else. That's the attitude that we're to have as church members. This series is called Meaningful Membership. So that's kind of a couple different ways that we can can take that, right? Meaningful Membership. What does membership mean according to the Bible? And then what does, mean, what does membership mean here at Victory? Hopefully they mean the same thing. Hopefully we're applying that biblical understanding faithfully here in this church. So what does it mean? It means that we strive to be like Jesus in all areas of our lives, including the way that we see the church body. Maybe you've been a member of this church for 40 years, served in the nursery for 39 years. Now, I'm, I'm purposely choosing numbers that are older than this church, right? So maybe you've been a member of this church for 40 years and serving in the nursery for 39 years. And so you've earned the right to lead the children's ministry the way that you see fit, no matter what anybody else thinks. Or at least that's what your flesh wants you to think. Instead, Paul says, be like Jesus. He gave up those divine privileges, and he was humbly obedient to the Father's will. 
Maybe you've been a member of this church for 30 years and faithfully tithing for 35 years. And so you get to decide how the church spends the money. Mm. Paul says, no, be like Jesus. He left heaven and became human to sacrifice himself for us. What attitude or what mindset do you need to sacrifice? Where do you need to lay aside your rights? Where do you need to humble yourself so that you can become a servant here in this church, where you can become a slave like Jesus, so that you can serve others, so that you can sacrifice for others, so that you can be obedient to God's calling on your life. If you think back to the first sermon in this series, Paul used the analogy where he compared being a member of a church to being parts of a human body. If any part of the human body is not doing its job, the whole body suffers. Where is God calling you to be active in this church? Where is God calling you to be active in this church? What role is God calling you to serve in this church? God didn't save any of us to be sideline Christians. If you are saved, then you are saved to serve. Where is God calling you to serve in this church? If you're a Christian and God is not calling you to serve in this church, he's calling you to serve in another church. I realize the pastor of a small church probably shouldn't say things like that. But if, if you're a Christian and God is not calling you to serve in this church, then he's calling you to serve in another church because God is calling you to serve in church. I'll be very clear about that. I'm going to close this with one more analogy. This one didn't come from this book. I'm a church member. Unfortunately, I don't remember which book it came from. I didn't come up with it. My, with, uh, mm -hmm. I didn't come up with this analogy on my own. It was somebody else's. And I wish I could remember so I could give them credit. Uh, but anyways, too many churches or too many church members function as passengers on a cruise ship. See, there are people on the cruise ship who are working hard, but it's for the benefit of the passengers. Everyone else is there to serve the passengers. And if you're treating church membership as a passenger on a cruise ship, then you need to repent. Instead, church membership is supposed to be more like a Navy submarine. There's no freeloaders. There's no passengers on a Navy sub. There's a mission, and everyone there has a job to do to accomplish that mission. There's no room, and there's no time to serve passengers. Everyone works together for a common goal. Everyone surrenders some of their privileges as American citizens and goes to serve the nation as a church, similarly. Now, we're not, we're not serving the nation. We're not serving USA. We're serving the kingdom of God. Amen. And so we as church members, we see ourselves as submariners in this submarine. We have a job to do. Everyone here has a job to do. If you are a member of this church, God has given you a job to do. That's what church membership is supposed to be. We're called to serve. What is God calling you to do? All right, so now we get to our application, okay? Our application always comes from our definition of a disciple, where Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And in that, we have our three indicators of a disciple. It's knowing, being, and doing. And so the knowing comes where Jesus says, follow me, right? So the disciple has, submitted, so, mm -hmm, has surrendered to Jesus, right? The being is where Jesus says, I will make you. And so Jesus is remaking us from the inside out. He's changing us on an internal level to make us who we were created to be. And then the doing is where Jesus says that you will be fishing for people. Right? And so the disciple is out doing the work of God. So our no application here 
is to know your role as a member. Before you can know your role as a member, you have to be a member. And before you can be a member, you have to be saved and baptized. So, have you given your life to Jesus? Have you accepted his forgiveness for your sins? Have you placed your faith in his sacrifice? If not, call out to him today for salvation. Pray to him. Repent of your sins and place your faith in him. If you are saved and you've not been baptized since coming to faith, then the application here is to be baptized. We are a Baptist church, and we do believe that baptism is a response to salvation. So after you're, salved, after you're saved, then you are baptized. So if you are saved and not baptized since then, then that's the application for you. If you are saved and you have been baptized, then you need to join a church. If this is the church that God is calling you to be at, praise God. If God's calling you to be at another church, we love you. Go be obedient to God where he's calling you to be. If you are saved and you're baptized and you are a member of this church, then where are you serving? Are you serving where God is calling you to serve? Yes, we're called to serve Jesus through the Great Commission, and so that's outside the walls of the church. We do. We go out and we share the gospel with the lost. Jesus says to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. But that right there, the teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, a lot of times that happens inside the church. So how are we being obedient to that calling in the church? How are you loving the body? How are you serving the body? If you don't know where God is calling you to serve, pray and seek his will. Maybe even be brave enough to ask where you can serve and be willing to commit to the answer. So that's the no application. Know your role as a member. Our B application is to be an active participant. Again, using Paul's analogy, every part of the human body serves a purpose. When that body part does not do its job, the whole body suffers. If my leg suddenly decides that it doesn't want to do the leg job anymore, my whole body's going to suffer. Right? When your leg falls asleep and you try to stand up, sometimes it doesn't end well. The fall is not so bad as the sudden stop at the end, right? So if my liver stops working, it'll slowly kill me. Don't be that leg that decides to stop being a leg. Don't be the, fun the malfunctioning liver. Be a functioning body part. Or using the example of a cruise ship passenger versus a Navy submariner, are you acting like a passenger or are you acting like a soldier? If you're not doing your job, then you're being a passenger. God calls us to be soldiers. This is spiritual warfare, and we all have our role to fill. In our due application, give up your privileges. As members, we take the same attitude that Christ had. He gave up his divine privileges to come and to serve us. He left heaven to become human. One more reference here. On page 40, Tom Rainer writes, When you think you've had it with making sacrifices for others, remember the cross. As you are overwhelmed by Jesus' undeserved love for you that caused him to sacrifice everything, including his preferences, you will be able to do the same for others. In what ways are you giving up your privileges to serve others? Are you, willing, are you willingly surrendering your preferences because you're considering others as more important than yourself? Are you giving up your privileges to humbly and obediently follow God's will in your life? Now, this, is what, this was a three-week sermon series. I think we'll have a fifth sermon on this last week to close it out. So uh, three weeks turned into five, but that's all right.
You just have to try to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Um, our application points again. Know your role as a member, be an active participant, and give up your, pri- pri- your privileges. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for the truth of your word. Lord, this morning, your word cuts deep sometimes. But Father, I pray that you will use that to carve out any bit of ourselves that are not obedient to you. Help us, God, to surrender to your will in our lives. God, if there's anybody here who does not know you, I pray that you are working on their hearts and helping them to be obedient to you, to call out to you for salvation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit victorybaptisthopemills.com or facebook.com slash vbchopemills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.